Hi, my name is Bill Binch, Operating Partner at Battery Ventures. Thanks for tuning in to Soundbites, the podcast series that explores best practices in sales, marketing, and go-to-market for B2B SaaS companies. You're about to listen to one of our original episodes that ran in a live webinar format. Since this episode aired, we've pivoted to a podcast format so you can get more of the great Soundbites content you love in an asynchronous format. But the classics are worth a listen to, so enjoy. Today, I'm, I'm super excited to have my first guest, Chandar Padabiram, joining us. Uh, I'll give a little quick background, Chandar, and I'll let you say a few words. But um, I'll go back in time. But Chandar started his career at Anderson Consulting when there was such a thing of Anderson <laughs> Consulting. Um, and did a few years there managing some business before making the move over to IBM, specifically in the cast iron division, and spent a good amount of time growing up and building your skill set there. Um, then you made a shift over to Badgeville, and if, if, if people don't know what Badgeville is on this call, boy, go look that one up and look at the talent roster that was inside of this organization, because it is immense of the people that were inside and went through the leadership functions inside that organization. Um, and I, I had the fortune of getting to meet Chandar while he was at Badgeville as he came in and, and talked to us about joining Marketo. And then uh, I subsequently had the pleasure of working alongside Chandar at Marketo, where he came in initially as our group vice president over marketing and then rolled up into the CMO role um, and did that for a, a bit of time before making the move to where he's currently at at Coupa as the chief marketing officer, and you've had a great run there. Um, in addition, Chandarta, obviously your operating roles, you also do advisory work, you advise companies like Gainsight and Freshworks, uh, as well as being a board member where you are today on the board of Donnelly Financial Services. So uh, what I'd consider a fairly storied career, Chandar. Thank you, Bill. Thank you for the very kind words. And uh, you always make it look better than what it is. But I really appreciate that, Bill. It's, it's an honor and a pleasure to be here. And, uh, you know, I've always said, like, you know, you, you have to feel the alignment when it comes to sales and marketing before you kind of live, live the alignment. And I can remember right for the first day of meeting you, and we talk about that, that, you know, I always felt that harmony, that synergy, that, that great, you know, joint camaraderie. So it's been, again, a pleasure of mine to work with you. And uh, it's great to see you kind of, you know, having the storied sales career and then transforming it into being, you know, helping companies be the next Marketo, the next Coupa and drive that through the battery portfolio. So it's really, really exciting and nobody better than you to do it. So great to be here, Bill. Well, good. Well, let's let's dive in. Um, Jandar, I have a few areas that, that I'd love to explore. I'll give a quick little rundown and then we'll dive into them. Um, I want to cover today some ABM topics, some brand topics, your thoughts on the current environmental, the current economic environment that's out there right now, metrics and org structure. But before we get into those areas, let's start where you and I met. Do you remember the story of when you and I first got connected? Yes, absolutely. Do you want me to say it or you want to say it? Go for it, and I'll add on top of whatever, uh, whatever. I'll camp on top of whatever you say. Yeah. So I remember having, you know, I was coming out of being running marketing for Badgeville, into exploring, you know, senior marketing role at 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 at, at Keller to run product and corporate marketing. And uh, obviously, in that role, first synergy point is with the head of sales. And I remember you were on vacation, 
and I'd actually met Phil and Sanjay and you were on vacation and, and you know, Phil and Sanjay were like, hey, you got to talk to Bill for like 30 minutes on the call before we, you know, we do anything. And so I think I called you on vacation, your routine vacation. He says, man, I got a lot of stuff going on in my business. He says, I got going after the enterprise segment. I'm going after mid-market segment. I'm going after these different verticals. I'm going after EMEA and I have now APAC. What, and then how do we make sense out of all of this? And I remember you and I talking about this and aligning in, in the, the first five minutes of saying, hey, let's think about this as plays and what are the plays we want to run and, and, and do it that way rather than trying to look at it as some broad thing that we have to go to. And so from that standpoint, I think synergy was great. That is my memory, Bill, as I started. I, it's a terrific memory. I have the same recollection. I remember getting on the phone with you and setting the table almost exactly as you said, which was, look, let's just not do the typical interview back and forth of asking questions. You've already met with a bunch of folks before me. Let's talk about what the real business problem is. And I think you called it out, which was at the time, Marketo was pursuing a strategy where we were, where we were going after the small, the mid-market and the enterprise. We were domestic in the US, we were international and translated into six or seven languages. We had verticals, we had B2B versus B2C. We had new products and then we had expansion products. We just had a complex place. And I, as a sales leader, was really struggling with how do I teach my sales team, my SDRs, my sales engineers a message? Do we pursue it by competitor? Do we do it by geography? And I, I, what I thought was just so lucid and real was that you came in and this was a gutsy move. And you said the words, no, that's not what you do. Bill, what we need to do is think about plays. We need to think about use cases that we solve that are consistent across every customer. It doesn't matter if they're small or big, near or far. We need to be able to do that. And um, and that's where I thought you and I just bonded. No, that's great, Bill. And the story, the Google Earth story on that is, you know, as companies scale, the biggest challenge is when they hit the fork in the road, they take it. That's the problem, right? And, 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 and so they don't make a choice. And strategy is all about choice and and, when we have a line like, hey, in any small company in, in the battery portfolio and others, I think when you're scaling, you can maximum run only two or three plays. You can't run, if you want to align sales and marketing and bring the harmony and not harm across these two, 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 two functions. And that's where you think about how do we orchestrate, you know, as you said, whether it's by competitor, whether it's by vertical, whether it's by segment, pick two, three ones and just create rinse and repeat motions. Because ultimately, collectively, we want to find the fastest path to the most dollars. And that's probably, you know, in my experience and our experience, you know, probably the best way to do it from that standpoint. You, hey, everybody, you heard it here, harmony and not harm. Um, I like that. So I, I imagine then you you employed a similar playbook when you departed Marketo and went into Coupa. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. It was an interesting difference. It was a similar. Uh, I think the philosophy is ultimately, you know, any B2B marketing leader on this call or across, and I can summarize all B2B marketing philosophy into five words, right? Um, and that's whether it's Marketo, Cooper, whatever, it's set up set up sales to win. I mean, that's really what any B2B marketing organization philosophy should be. So if you start with an alignment and philosophy, when you take the playbook, one of the nuances that you have to appreciate is that, you know, we had built at Marketo a very great inbound velocity-based engine in, in, in the mid-market and it's just the enterprise. And Cooper was successful in the enterprise, which needed a little bit more marketing investment, a lot more like, you know, a little bit more mainstream advertising investment, et cetera. So it was trying to kind of take the same philosophy, but at the same time, understanding the nuances of the segments and applying plays that are aligned to where the new segment is. And that's probably the, the most important thing I would say when you go from organization A to B, 
is how do you carry out your philosophy but not necessarily blindly replicate your playbook you know you've got to tweak the playbook based on what the situation is so that's been really good for us from that standpoint uh, that's great to hear and i think a great element to share similar area uh if you go back to that same time of 2014-2015 one of our co-founders at marketo john miller left to go start his own thing, uh, demand base, uh, uh, or, uh, engage you, engage you, engage you, uh, which really kicked off the account-based marketing concept out there. So there were companies that did it, but there was the concept that really, I think came into its own back in that 2015 timeframe. I'd love to understand how you think about ABM. Um, I know, uh, we all talk about that as a very enterprise-focused type of idea, but I think you have some additional thoughts on that. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Bill. First of all, I would just give a shout out to John. John was is probably the world's greatest B two B content marketer ever, right? And and so we should you know put him in the Hall of Fame on that one, and we can talk about John on other pieces. But then I think you know John's whole philosophy that he talked about in ABM is is not fishing with the net, which is a lot more broad-based, it's fishing with a spear and, and trying to be very targeted is kind of a good philosophy to carry across in our ABM strategies. But if I take it one step further and, and put a practical lens to it, right? Three things, Bill. So first, for all of us on this call, I think there's a, there's a predisposed motion that ABM is only for the large companies, meaning for your large customers. And the answer is no. You can drive account-based marketing for your SMB business as if you're going after that segment as much as you can drive for enterprise business. And I remember Mike Madden, who's one of the great demand marketers at Marketo, um, came to me, um, you know, sometime in the process and said, "Hey, let me tell you, Shanda, when we do ABM for the SMB business, our ASP increases by 42% when we don't do it, right? In the SMB as opposed to the enterprise. So that's kind of Twitter headline one. In my own practical thing is how do we go operationalize ABM?" from all segments as opposed to just the enterprise segment, but there's different playbooks on how to do that. I'll talk about that, but that's one. The Twitter headline too for me is when we do ABM, we have to shift our philosophy of how do we comp our ADR, SDR teams and, and how do we align them with sales in a more meaningful way um, rather than historically looking at, hey, there's inbound and then there's outbound that SDRs drive independent of outbound that uh, you know uh, uh, sales drives. But the reality is we should look at it as all bound, right? Because ultimately, if you're going after a set of target accounts, it doesn't really matter who sourced them. So we look at it as, hey, ADRs, or in, this, in our case, we call it SDR sales and marketing are going after the same set of target accounts. It doesn't matter, get the sourcing idea out of the way. And our job in marketing is to cut out the sky scoop of blue while sales is opening the door and ADR is enriching that with having the right, you know, whether it's account enrichment or getting the practitioners to engage, et cetera, right? So that's a practical thing. Think of it as all bound rather than separate outbound motions when it comes to um, uh, ABM, right? That's Twitter headline number two. And then, you know, the Twitter headline number three, when it comes to operationalizing it, we look at it in terms of one to many, one to few, one to one, right? And so when we look at it in one too many, you have your greenfield accounts. Let's just say you have 10,000 greenfield accounts, whether it's an enterprise or mid-market. What are the set of motions that you can drive in one too many that are driving them to, you know, getting some nurturing and all these things going in terms of whether it's in third-party uh, sites, you know, whether it's in intent and all those pieces, right? And then one too few, you can pick, hey, it's by industry or by vertical or some specific, hey, the, uh, the use case, and say, so I'm going to get eight to 10 prospects with some customers, engage them and drive this one too few motions. And then in specific large accounts, we look at one-to-one, -one. hey, can we do personalized videos? Can we do a direct mail campaign? Can we do like, you know, executive briefing on that, for that particular customer and look at it from that perspective or prospect? 
So, and then we look at, okay, one-to-one, one-to-many, one-to-few, and then we have our capacity model of, of coupons. Hey, we can only give three one-to-one coupons. We can give five one-to-few coupons, and we can have many one-to-many coupons. And that's how we balance capacity with, with what the needs are. And that's kind of the practical three things I would say, Bill. A lot, yeah. of, a lot of concepts there. Um, that's, that's what I think this audience is looking for. I, I love the use case mindset. To me, it, it quite honestly shaped me moving forward, which is you can chase your tail pursuing um, how you're going to message to your market, how you're going to message to your prospects and customers. But to me, it, it came down to what problems do we help exactly. them solve with our technology. So I think that's great. Moving that into ABM, I think some great learnings there. The you know the the net versus the spear, like going back to the very beginning of what you said, and then ending of thinking about who you're trying to market to is super critical. So um, I think we're taking off a lot of boxes. This this is why Chandar, you're the full stack marketer that you are. So uh, let me try and transition us to. But, but I don't do the work. The credit's to the team. I just speak about it. So to in all honesty. So go ahead, Bill. Well, look, I think the credit is. I always say the same thing is like, you know, being at the top of an org chart, you get a lot of uh, accolades and uh, also a lot of the responsibility when things don't go right. But at the same time, I think the most important job you have is hiring that team. And I think that's been one of your superpowers. Absolutely, Bill. I think, you know, somebody asked me just to riff on this point, um, what makes a great CMO? And, you know, I think, you know, Sanjay is probably the greatest CMO I've seen in B2B on this thing. And I said, you know, the key to a great CMO, there's no such thing as a great CMO. A great CMO is somebody who's got a great head of corporate marketing, great head of product marketing, great head of growth marketing. And that's really what makes a great CMO. Right? Totally. Other than there's no chance to be one, right? And so that's the Twitter headline on that. So. Totally. I, I, I agree completely with that, that philosophy. Um, so, okay, shifting to another topic. And I know many of the audience today are at earlier stage companies. So I think this will be particularly relevant for them. You've gone to an early stage company. We mentioned Badgeville back there, but how does a small company think about building brand, right? A really tough thing for a company that's just coming out is got their seed or their A-level funding and they're looking to go out and create their name. What are your thoughts as you think through that area? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, it's a very, I mean, it's, it's a tricky thing, right? You know, first of all, let me say what we should not do. And then we'll talk about what we should do based on my experience, right? I think trying to be broad mainstream marketing, if you're less than 20, $30 million ARR, trying to be completely billboards in Chicago airports and stuff like that, while it will please the CEO, the board and, and drive some employee excitement, it's not the best use of your marketing dollar in terms of where you have to go find the next buyer, right? So contextual marketing rather than pervasive mainstream marketing is probably is the playbook to go do like who's my buyer and how do I go do that right? So but then how do you operationalize that from my perspective? There's two plays that I think two ideas that 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 work well. The first one, the good news in marketing is you can make up all these fancy words. I call it brand position, right? So which which is like you make up these fancy words. That's what we marketers do, right? But it is every brand moment is an acquisition moment, and every acquisition moment can be a brand moment. So you can use thought leadership as a way for you to build brand and at the same time drive acquisition using content, right? And you know, in the Marketo example, I was just looking at this bill, like, you know, John Miller used to write the definitive guide to marketing automation, nothing to do with Marketo. Um, but that is a way for you to go build brand with demand marketers and how do they become better at their jobs than using your product, right? Another example at Cooper, for example, you know, we have we partner with the Wall Street Journal as economists and talk about the CFO's guide to strategic finance. 
Now I can use that asset to build brand with every CFO. I don't, it doesn't have to do my product. It's everything to do with them knowing who I am and, and just building awareness of it, right? So I would like, I would, re- I would recommend that companies early in, in our cycle, you know, have the mindset, what can we teach to, for our buyer? First of all, understand who our buyer persona is. Second of all, what can we teach them to be better in their jobs? And at the same time, be as a proxy for them to know my brand. And going back to, you know, Bill, you live the challenge yourself um, in, in, in Markello. So that kind of teaching to earn the right to engage is one way of building brand in my perspective, right? The other way of building brand, in addition, it's and not or here, is very, very powerful about building a community early. If we can start seeding this thing about this is the cool club you want to be part of and you build that early in your cycle, again, making a persona successful, um, then over time that will benefit you, right? And, you know, we at Marketo focused on the demand market. They're not getting a lot of RESPCT in companies, but we focused on the demand market, just how do you build that persona? At Coupa, we have these spend setters, build procurement people. They don't also get a lot of RESPCT relative. So how do you pick that persona and start building a community early? And that benefits you over time. And if I look at our Marketo careers, Bill, the Twitter headline for me is that eventually when it gets to scale, people don't buy what you sell, they buy who you are. And, and for me, it was like, we were, we were selling marketing automation. What they were buying was the marketing nation. So the fact is they wanted to be part of the cool club in the community, right? So the, those two things, I think is something to think about early. Think about thought leadership as a way to build brand and think about seeding your community for that specific buyer persona early and those two can benefit you over time. I, I think you're right. A learning from Marketo that I thought was so genius, I'm not sure I saw it happening at the time, was we used to host a user summit. And then suddenly we host this thing called the Marketing Nation. And of course it was sponsored by Marketo, but it wasn't the Marketo Marketing That's Nation. That's right. That is right. And the idea was let's bring the best and brightest marketers to an event. And yes, of course, there's going to be tracks that are specific for Marketo. We're going to do certifications on our technology for the people that want to come get that because that makes them more marketable for their next job. It lets them put something on their LinkedIn that shows they're a certified expert, right? It benefits them. It makes them the hero that you just talked about. But at the same time, we had this whole other separate track of come in and just learn how to be a great marketer. Exactly. Exactly. Being better in your jobs and do that. And then that community feeling, right? Even if you take... I mean, Marketo and we were swimming after marketers, Cooper sells business applications. I'll tell you an infrastructure, right? Look at a company like New Relic. I remember our customer, Bill, when you sold them that, they created this thing about data nerds. We're building this community of data nerds because nobody gives sysadmins as much love relative to that. But we are this, you know, the tribe together who doesn't get love and we are the data nerd. I'm proud to say that. And they built this community even for infrastructure, right? And that was, you know, cool way of, of uh, community building. Again, it's got to be very specific to a persona, as you said, and teach them how to be better in their jobs. So. I think, I think your word tribe really kind of sums up that whole that whole idea is it create create your persona and create the hero in them. Um, great, great stuff. Um, all right. Next one for you. Uh, a topic that everybody's asking about, everybody's talking about right now, which is the current economic environment. Tough time. Right. Uh, companies we're seeing are slowing down hiring. They're stopping hiring. Um, harder to go and attract customers, harder to go and expand customers. Your thoughts as a CMO of an organization that's obviously driving through this this current stage, what are your thoughts right now that you would give to marketers around the current environment? Yeah, it's a challenging thing for all of us, right? Um, 
you know, the CFO, as I say, is the CFO right now, because the default posture for him or her is why should I invest in any technology in the next 12 months unless it's giving me more tangible return in the near rather than in the future. So if the return is coming two years from now, I might as well wait, right? And I was talking to a CEO, I was playing tennis with a CEO of a company, you know, public company this weekend, and, you, and, and, and he was telling me, I was asking him his challenge, and he was telling me that, hey, you know, we have our posture to say, without me, this is the problems you're going to have. Right. Be more provocation selling than a little bit more solution selling. Like we are all very good solutions. Bill, you're the master. I'm speaking to the choir here in terms of how do you take a anatomy of a deal and talk about what's your problem and how do I go solve the problem and stuff like that, right? As an organization. But the provocation selling is hey, without me, here's the challenges you're gonna have and here is the the loss you would have if you don't have me. So if we can kind of message a little bit more to fear on that. And number two. We have to show payback period in the next one year in our technology investment. Anything soft like productivity, efficiency, and all that stuff, a CFO is going to be like, eh, I'm going to punt. If it's more tangible and the payback period is within one year, then we have a better shot collectively as teams um, to, to go win the mind of the CFO because every decision is going to go through them in these times, right? And they're going to add themselves as a layer of approval. Even at Cooper, for example, you know, we talk about you know, in good times you need Cooper, and in, in good times you want Cooper, in bad times you need Cooper because it's 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 a dollar saved is more than a dollar earned, and we have to. So that's kind of the provocation messaging we, we we're looking at from that perspective, right? So that would be my thing. You you have to be a little bit more empirical. You got to be a little bit where the value is coming in on the short term rather than long term. Number one, and the second thing I would say, Bill, is, you know, there's no better time to focus on your customer base, and and drive. If you take the same idea of plays that you and I talked about. Um, if you can run one or two two plays to your install base and go after your install base in a more thoughtful way, then there's no better time because that takes all the pressure off your new business growth that you have to do. And you've got to be thoughtful and programmatic as we all know, but this is a time to kind of invest in that motion if you haven't done it as a smaller company. Those are the two things I would say. I, I share very similar thoughts. I, I believe in this concept, people are pressing the book about above the line selling and below the line selling, and which really implies about above the line is selling to executives, below the line is selling to users. But there's also a concept in there that I you know maybe blend in here about above the line selling is must have software and how right. do you your product into that category. And it goes back to what we first started this conversation around, which is around plays is one of the advice that I give to companies I speak with is, have you looked at your three or four use cases, your three or four plays and really, really metriced what the outcome is by you solving that specific use case or that, that pain. And can you go quantify? And so you exactly. use the term empirical, and that's yes. me quantify. Is can I go quantify? And you're right; it's got to be tangible. It's got to be in a way that that shows that it's saving me money or making me money. Because productivity is great, but at, at a time like this, you're right; uh, it's going to be harder for that to go through the buying chain that happens inside the companies that we sell to. Yeah, yeah, it's a very great point. Well, I love that metaphor of outline is below the line. I love it. I'll take that and. I think, you know, as you said, I mean, the CFO's default posture now is no. And so how do you go from no to yes is the whole, uh, uh, you know, and, and that. So it's it's definitely challenging, but that that guidance that you just talked about is great for them, empirical. Um, we'll get a couple couple other topics I want to touch on here. And then, um, wow, we got a bunch of questions pre-submitted um, by the group. And then if anybody else has other questions and wants to submit them, go ahead. Um, but 
one topic that is always top of mind for marketers, for their partners in sales alike, are metrics. What are the metrics that a marketing team should be looking at? What should be in every DAC or what should be on every dashboard? What are the top things you think about? Yeah, yeah, this is a topic we can go speak ours for. Um, but I appreciate you asking this from as being sales leaders. I think what's happened in the last 10 years is as marketing, thanks to Marketo and other companies have gone from a soft sign to a programmatic science. What's happened is we were over rotated on metrics, right? So there's always this thing around measure what's meaningful, but just because it can be measured doesn't make it meaningful. And, and, and that's what's the challenge that is today that everything that's measured is being thrown out as meaningful. And the way I think about this, and it's, it's, it's a great lesson for me in the, in the spirit of sales and marketing alignment, there are metrics within the engine room of marketing. And then there are metrics in the alignment room with sales and the CEO. And a lot of times we get confused between using those engine room metrics into the align, bringing them to the alignment room and that fails. So a couple of examples of that. Website conversions, MQLs, leads are all very good metrics for us to track within the engine room of marketing. But if I go to Bill as the head of sales and say, I generated 5,000 leads, but those leads didn't create many, many opportunities, you don't care, right? So to me, the first set of metrics in the alignment room, I just talk about the metrics that matter in the alignment room with sales. I would say there's about four or five, and we can talk about like each one of them being. So first is around sales accepted pipeline, right? The opportunities that you're generating together as sales and marketing, are we hitting our goals? And, and, and middle stage, not just MQLs or even the SQLs, right? Are we aligning on that? So that's in the alignment room, that's one key metric. Like, are, is, is that a leading indicator where we needed to go? That's number one, I would say, right? The most important metric from a pipeline perspective, right? The number two and three, I would say is ultimately, you know, how do you measure messaging product marketing efficiency? I mean, Bill, with all respect to sales, nobody comes and says, I won because my messaging was great, but my pricing was great, right? Yeah. So you measure that using, can is your ASPs and your win rates, are you winning bigger and you're winning faster or more? And are you directionally helping sales move that forward? And you look at that as an alignment metric in the alignment room, right? And say that are we collectively doing this? If not, the targeting is wrong, the pricing is wrong, could be wrong, right? It's just not sales execution at the end of the day, the only thing that's, that's an issue. And so it's see more pipeline, as Sanjay used to say, which is around sales accepted pipeline, win more, win bigger, and then activating more of your community and how many more advocates that you are showcasing in your tribe. It's not them advocating for you, it's you advocating for them. How many more heroes are you creating in your tribe and are you increasing that and driving that and bringing their stories to life and stuff. It's a little bit more of a softer thing, but it's a very emotive thing, not an empirical thing that's important as you build your brand. Right? So at the highest level, I would say, this is where in the alignment room that matters. If the first three matter more than the last one, but ignore every CMO on this, every marketer on this room, the worst mistake we can go is go to a boardroom, board meeting with the head of sales in the room and say, I beat my numbers of MQLs when we didn't hit our sales number to, 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 to the goal. And that just creates lack of trust right there, right in the alignment. So that's my headline, but Bill, you, you know this really well. I would love you to reform it too, Bill. Oh, I, I mean, I think this talk track is so on point with the modern thought process of sales and marketing alignment. I think you're absolutely right. I think marketing software has brought this scientific element to the marketer and took the marketer from being, we always used to talk about from being the craftsperson, right? The person at the crafts table yep. working on colors and fonts 
and made them suddenly have a seat at the revenue table. And that was the mission of Marketo. And I think today, as you think about the advancement of that mission, you're so right. We have over-indexed into a lot of metrics on both sales and marketing and CS for that matter as well. And so you really have to get to what matters. And so I love the, the your concepts of the engine room. And, um, you know, look, the first thing you said on this call was five words, set up sales to win, right? That's a modern B2B marketer's mindset, I think. And I think you're absolutely right, is pipeline is the common language that both marketers and sales speak. So as a lifeline, lifetime sales leader, I think that if marketing sales really get into that area, and you're right, like, does the marketer care about, you know, the the methodology? Well, sure they do, because it interacts with, with product marketing, but it's not their everyday thing. Do they care about what happens in the conference room on the whiteboard when you're mapping up the deal? Well, sure they do because they want the company to win. But right. that's the that's the sales engine room, just like the MQLs, the SQLs. That is the marketing engine room. So I think if you can get those two groups into that space of pipeline, that's a really critical move. Yeah, and I love the way. There's one thing I learned from you, Bill, at at Marketo was was around you know how you would keep us honest in that collective alignment room conversations about hey guys. Let's talk about the things that matter. I mean, I don't want to, I respect everything you're doing in terms of creating all these leads from all this definitive guide stuff, but let's just talk about pipeline. How is it moving forward? What are you guys doing from stage one to what are you collectively doing in that alignment room? And right. I mean, that's a lesson for, you know, every marketer in this, who's on this call and every salesperson on this call, right? And just how do you, that is the key thing, that pipeline thing and, and sales accepted and doing it in the middle of the box, right? Right. All right. So let me, let me get one last one in here. And then, like I said, I'll shift to a, a a swath of questions that have come over. Um, org structure, let's go into that. So I can't tell you how many CEOs I meet with today, Chandar, that they all ask for their CMO, their next CMO to be someone that came up from modern marketing, from demand marketing, right? Which is a shift because 10 years ago, it was probably, I want a product marketer to come and lead my organization. So I'd love to hear you riff a little bit about how you think of a modern marketing organization inside of a b2b company i mean there's demand gen there's product marketing we just talked about there's corporate marketing there's all these different areas that that you have how do you you know and, and like let me ask it in this context a lot of the, the the audience here are younger companies so how do you think about somebody that's setting up their marketing organization what should the priorities they should be thinking about be yeah yeah it's a good question um i think like you know first of all a lot of times CEOs in smaller companies, CEOs have strengths and you got to augment the the strength of the CEO and, and, and the founding team, right? And a lot of time, the strengths of the founding team is on product and positioning and stuff because they understand the market. They've understood like, you know, when they've raised the series A and B and they've gone and, you know, pitched on why this company. And so I would look at that as like, how can I augment the existing strength of the organization and see what can I do in, in terms of addition? So that's kind of way. And, and right now, especially as you have technology founders and product founders, the product marketing doesn't become the dominant gene of these organizations as much as growth marketing being the dominant gene of these organizations when you start with, right? What is the DNA of that person coming in? And I would say that early on, you want to get somebody who understands modern digital marketing with some flavor of hiring, like, you know, field marketing and stuff like that, right? That is a very important hire you want to make early in your cycle. Because once you've achieved product market fit early, so once you figure out going to build really kind of use case, right? You figure out like first you go broad because you don't have repeatability. You're figuring out like, hey, I'm going after five or seven use, ten use cases. Once you have repeatability, it says I now have ten use, ten customers with the same pattern.
Then okay, now it's the question is how do you make this 10 into 100 and the second use case 10 into 100? And that's when your growth marketing engine can really come in and really come in and align and says, okay, what are the modern tactics I'm going to use to drive that? So having that growth marketer um, as, as a leading DNA is more and more, I think, very, very important to the organization, Bill. Now, if I'm setting up a marketing organization of three people, now this depends. If you're a 10 million ARR, it's a different thing than if you're a million ARR, right? If I'm driving somebody in a, in a one to $5 million ARR, I would get somebody who's a modern growth marketer, somebody who is more block Netflix than Blockbuster, <laughs> you know, somebody who's done a lot more digital than physical yeah. in, the, in those pieces. And I would get a content person who can really play two roles, right? Driving content to help drive some of these thought leadership I talked about, and also tell these customer stories. You can have these hybrid roles, an athlete who can also bring in, here are the five customer stories I want to showcase and how we are making, they're making, how they're being successful. So those two roles I would say are important. And then, you know, product marketing is very important, but again, it depends on if you're at 1 million versus 10 million, where you go do, do draw a line, right? I will give you in my kind of back of the napkin, a rule of 10. If you are $10 million ARR, um, you probably want to have 10 people in your marketing team, about five growth marketing people, five to six growth marketing people, two to three product marketing people, and one or two corporate marketing people. That's kind of how I would pie chart it. And I would probably be spending, you know, 10% or more of my ARR into overall marketing spend, which is both discretionary and my people and, and my people spend, right? That's kind of the rule of 10. I think about at the $10 million ARR. It's a great rule. Um, that's a great, great place to um, to leave us on on the content that we prepared today. I think the the whole concept of growth marketing, the Netflix blockbuster analogy is great, but the rule of ten, great, great guidance. I think to share with our audience. So um, with that, Chandra, our, our audience is hungry for some questions. I've got a list, plus there's a few more coming in here live. So let me mix between a few of these things. Um, this is an interesting one. Uh, biggest change, if any, that you've seen as you market to a remote or hybrid workforce? Yeah, I think um, I think there's a couple of things. Um, one is, I think there's two things, right? So one I would say is in spirit of how do we go after our direct mail and our personalization for people coming in from their homes relative to companies. There's a lot of personalization technologies that do reverse IP lookups based on you know, the company you're coming from, your location and do personalization. And that gets really challenging when you're doing um, you know, remote employees from home as well as you know, trying direct mail into them with their home addresses. So you gotta be a little bit more thoughtful on that when using Sendos or other products for them to kind of opt in rather than you kind of going after them in a, in a more programmatic basis in the past, right? So that's one thing. The second thing, what we have realized is that, you know, physical events, like I, I would go stay away from running large virtual events, meaning companies that have driven these, I'm going to run my conference virtually for 5,000 people and I'm going to have this vanity metric. So I'm going to run a whole day conference virtually and everybody's going to join virtually. The engagement in that is very, very low. You know, like your competition is the all tab right here, right? Nobody, nobody wants to listen to anything more than sometimes that's, that's, that's not meaningful, right? So I would focus on micro events, which are, you know, get eight to 15 people one hour and try driving that when people are remote rather than macro events, which is like, let me go get spend a whole day and running something, which is like, you know, you know, webinar after webinar or, or some annual, my annual event, do that physically. 
Physically, absolutely, bring it back. When you're doing it virtually, Mike thin slice it and micro it rather than macro it would be my, my guidance. Uh, look, I love super tactical advice for, for people listening in micro events, eight to 10, 15 people in person versus the big virtual one, which says I had this thousands of many of people attend, but like you said, low engagement. So, so on that point, Bill, I'll just tell you like, and that sounds like, okay, that can be a, you know, anybody can say it. We lived it like Marquette and Cooper in 2020 and 21, when every other large software vendor was, I mean, the great ones, Adobe, and so they're all running these virtual events of their user conference. We killed our user conference virtually. We just ran a one hour event for our entire community. And then we took those same dollars and ran 75 one to few events of these micro events and used that money for ABM one to eight to 12 people and drive it. And we got better bang for the buck there than driving this whole day and getting some keynote speaker to say something virtually, which was you know, it's not much engagement. So. Awesome, awesome. All right, let me go to another one here for you. Uh, across SaaS and AI as a services organizations, what channels, trade show, LinkedIn, have been best for B2B marketing? Yeah, so I would say it depends on the stage of the funnel. Um, I would say that, you know, in the top of the funnel, I would say that intent um, and your website are the gift that can keep on giving. If you get intent technologies, whether it's demand-based or whether it's Sixth Sense or whatever the technologies you have, and tying intent into early and then personalizing the experience on your website is a good thing on top of the funnel. LinkedIn tends to be a good channel for the middle of the funnel because once you have your target accounts and there is some engagement, you can go after the executive buyers in your buying persona. So if your practitioners are engaging early, but you want to build brand awareness with your executive buyer in, in the sales cycle. And so using you know content and going after LinkedIn and then retargeting is a good tactic in the middle of the funnel. And then late middle of the funnel is that one-to-one -one and one-to-few tactics when you go into field marketing and these, these events. And even direct mail is coming back as a good tactic for you to be very personalized and very target, hyper-targeted is, is, is in that stage of the funnel. So I would then look at the stage of the funnel and, and look at some of these tactics in these different ways. Got it. I love the, uh, the funnel stage element of it. Um, another one here, for companies with a freemium all the way up to a top-down sales model, what does excellent marketing to sales relationship look like? Yeah, I mean, if you start with the numbers and work backwards, right, in any of these models, excellent sales relationship looks like is number one. I would say it empirically and I would say it emotively, and then we'll get into the different models, right? Empirically, it is like, are we generating enough pipeline together, right? It's not sales generating pipeline, it's not marketing generating pipeline. Have we hit early stage pipeline and mid-stage pipeline in such a way it's a leading indicator? Does Bill and his team or the sales leader have three X to four X of what they need to do collectively? That's excellent relationship that if you're not hitting it, do we know what the collective reasons are and we're doing something together? That's, that is empirically, that's very, very important. Awesome. Emotively to me, like to me, I when you looked at functions like product marketing and, and et cetera, you can look at, hey, are we winning bigger and think ultimately it's the trusted partner. Does a sales leader and his sales leaders bring product marketing and saying, hey, I'm having this positioning challenges into this particular segment. How do we collectively go drive this messaging in this segment? Can we do this? That trusted partnership, right? That's difficult to measure, but hey, I call the phone and say, let's do this together. Like when we created the mid-market deck, I remember like sales marketing sitting in a room and saying, you got some perspectives, the sellers have the in the trenches perspectives, we are the messaging guys, how do we do this together? Oh, that is a very, very key thing. It's not measurable, that's very important that the trust factor is there on the other side of the table. I think, I think a lot of people may have heard of this 
um, Patrick Lencioni concept called first team, which is your first team is your peer group, not your function that you own. And I think that's a big change that's evolving in the business world right now is that, you know, you come off of a, a quarter and you had a great quarter or you had a hard quarter. Do you go inside your own engine room, like you said, and commiserate or celebrate there? Or do you go across to your, your partners in the business? And the concept of first team is that the group you go to is your team that's wide. You go out to the partners, yep. that are helping yep. build the whole supply chain of the organization together. Yep, that's very key. And then for all marketers in the room, that's, you know, how do you measure product marketing efficiency if you're having a product marketing team? Yep. It, ask your sales leader how much trust he or she has in, in your product marketing to come in and help them on the investing and content front. If some of them say, yeah, yeah, they got some stuff, but I'm not really using it, then you're not getting harmony, harm, not harmony <laughs> in that particular. Right. Uh, look, the, you're, this is, this is, I mean, the name of this is sound bites. I've got a bunch. I'm writing them down. So let me, let me give one more here, Chandar, before I wrap us up. Uh, this is a lengthy one, but it's a good one. How do you get buy-in and define metrics around brand building in the early days when so much of your time is focused on driving leads? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is a, you know, this is a brilliant question. I can go rip on it, but, you know, I'll, I'll channel my Olivia here is Ogilvy matter is that, you know, 98% of buyers are tomorrow's buyers, right? They're not today's buyers. Right. And so we have over rotated into marketing into, you know, in market buyers rather than tomorrow's buyers. Right. There's a whole B2C line that it is not the ad that made Mary go to the supermarket. It's the empty box of cereal that did. But once Mary went to the supermarket, she realized that, hey, that's the brand that I recall. So we markets are in the recall business. Right. We're not necessarily in every not every buyer is in, 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 in the supermarket right now using a metaphor there. Right. So I think where we have to establish as an early thing, if you use this idea of brand position and saying that I am building brand with some content and that brand strategy, like we paid, for example, I'm just an example, like we paid, let's say $200,000 for an asset that we do with the Harvard Business Review when we were at Markel, right? Or we paid in, in Cooper. The question is, hey, why are you paying that much? But I can use that money to say that I can go measure return on content dollar. Right. And saying that that has actually driven me so many number of leads and, and pipeline over time over the next six to nine months, as much as it helped me build brand. So if you take that mindset of using brand position and driving that, that's an easier way to justify on how we can we can do it from that, st that standpoint. Where your biggest challenge is going to be is that, hey, I have this billboard in Chicago. Why should I spend money? And that's that's when you're going to get it. Well, if the CEO believes in that, good news. If the CEO doesn't believe in that, then we have a tough challenge. This is great stuff. Chandar, I mean, set up, uh, set up sales to win, harmony, not harm. The CFO is the CFO. Whew, you are full of things. Um, so look, I, I first of all want to thank the audience for joining in to, to tune in to some of the wisdom that I think that you have. Chandar, I think you're an incredible business person. So um, as a thank you for being my first guest, I want to get you a gift. Now, I know, I know, Chandar, that you're a sunglass man. So... What I need to know from you is, are you an aviator man or a wayfarer man? Because you're getting a pair. Aviator, aviator. aviators. Tom Cruise, Top Gun, aviator. Let's go. All right, the aviators are coming your way, my man. I, I want to thank you so much for taking right. some time out of your day to come share some of your experience and your thoughts. Like I said, I'm chock full of all these incredible sound bites. So thank you for joining me, Chandar. And for everybody that joined us on our inaugural kickoff session here, thank you for joining us as well.
Thank you, Bill. Thank you for having me. As always, we can rip for ours and uh, appreciate the time and uh, happy selling, everybody. It's the end of that. Great. Take care. Cheers. Bye. Bye. Bye.